Bibles this morning, please turn to Exodus, Exodus chapter 5, and we're going to actually go through a whole chapter and a half today, so we're going to have to get to it, and I'd love for you to read along with your Bibles, if you have them, because um, as Danny said earlier, it's a good opportunity for us to get into practice, something that we would take home with us and do regularly, Exodus chapter 5. You know, back in Egypt, even as you think of Egypt, you probably think of the uh, buildings that you've seen in Egypt, maybe the pyramids, the Sphinx. The Egyptians were known for great big buildings, and they would erect a lot of these big buildings to uh, glorify their kings, their pharaohs, and the gods that they had. And anytime you go to a, a building you're, and you're building large things, you need uh, a couple of things. One is you need materials. The Egyptians, they would use things like stone, but they also began to use uh, bricks. And so in making bricks, they would need lots of clay and they would need straw and they would mix those things together uh, because in order for those bricks to really be durable, they needed straw, which would help act as a binding agent. A lot, a lot like rebar is in concrete. And so they would put straw into it and as well, it, it helped to dry the bricks out while they were baking it. And so straw was fundamentally important to the making of bricks at that time as well. If you have a lot of things you want to build and you have the materials, you need the manpower to build the things you want to build. And so as we've seen in the story already, what they did was employ, not employ, but put into slavery all the people of Israel so that Israel as slaves would build these huge buildings and the different things that were going on in the construction of Egypt. And so as the people of Israel are being oppressed, as they're in slavery, God has said, I'm going to go get my people. I'm going to rescue them because I had foretold that I would. I knew that they'd be there. And I had said and made a promise according to the covenant I had with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob that I would go in and bring a judgment on the people that are oppressing them. And so he, in the story so far, has called upon a man named Moses. Moses was out in the wilderness and God said, this is my name. I am. I'm the one who exists. Go tell the other Israelites that I'm coming for him. And Moses says, well, how are they going to believe me, a murderer? Who is an outcast now coming in from the desert, a shepherder. That God's going to come get them. And God says, here's here's some signs. Here's a staff that will turn into a snake. Your hand, when you put it in your coat, it'll turn leprous. And the water from the Nile, when you pour it out, it'll turn to blood. Go back and tell the people of Israel, I'm coming for him. So Moses, along with his brother Aaron, go back to Egypt, meet with the Israelite elders. And they're like, that's awesome. We believe you. God is in this. We've seen the signs. We've heard from you. So go ahead and go talk to Pharaoh. So that's what Moses is going to do here in Exodus chapter 5. That's a little bit of the background of what's going on. So if you would, read with me at Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, that's after he met with the elders, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who's the Lord that I would obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us, please. Let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, 
The people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore, they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? The foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But Pharaoh said to them, you are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble. Then they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So a really tough scenario. Moses and Aaron going because God told them to go approach Pharaoh. All the elders of Israel behind. Yeah, go talk to him. So they go in to talk to Pharaoh and Pharaoh's like, I don't know the Lord. I don't know his. Why should I listen to his voice? And now, because you've taken this time to come in and talk to me, nobody's working. I'm going to make it harder on you. So he told the taskmasters and the foreman, go out there and they need to make the same amount of bricks to build all my buildings, but they're not getting part of the materials. I've been provide, I've been so kind that I have been giving them straw this whole time. But it, it seems like they don't have enough work because they have time to come ask me to go worship their God. So if they've got enough time, make them go get their own straw. They go find the materials themselves and then bring it in, and they still have to make the same amount of bricks. You can imagine being slaves. I mean, that is your job. That's your work. That's your life. You're just slaving away under the grunt work of making all these bricks to, to celebrate a, a foreign king, his gods, his people. You don't get anything out of, out of that but just being tired, being beat down. And now in the midst of your work, you've got to go source the material. How many of you at your job, your boss says, you better get this quota done? And oh, by the way, go find your own stuff. Ronnie at the printing press, I'm sure every day you've got to get some of those jobs done. How many times has your, your employer said, by your own means, you go out and buy paper. You go find it and get the same amount of printing done. Does that ever happen? No, no, that's never happened. Uh, any of you have been a job. Uh, our, our employers are like, I will resource you with what you need. Pharaoh's like, I'm not resourcing you. 
You have got to make bricks and you've got to find the straw. If they didn't find the straw, if they didn't bring it back, then the bricks that they would make would be useless. They would crumble. They wouldn't bake the same way. They had to find the straw. And as a result, the people who were leaders among the Israelites, the foremen, they weren't making enough bricks and getting it done. So they start getting beaten. And they walk into Pharaoh and they say, we can't do this. He says, you know what? You guys are idle. You haven't been working. You haven't been working. So they leave and they go out and they see Moses and Aaron on the way and they get in their face and they say, what have you done? What have you done going to Pharaoh and messing up our situation to where now it's even harder? We're being beaten for this. You've made us a stink in Pharaoh's sight, which is a funny way of saying it. Have you ever had something that smelt so bad it hurt your eyes? You've made us a stink in Pharaoh's sight. Uh, Trey Johnson was telling me how he goes out and helps in the, the, the pigs. In the, what do you call those things? The, the hog house, the hog house. I'm still learning things around here. He was saying how you go to the hog house and you have to have special clothes when you go to the hog house because you wear it and you, one walk through that hog house down and back and you're done, but you better not go home in those clothes. Why? Because a little bit of time in there makes you so stinky that you'd be a stink in the eyes of your wife, right? It'd be so, it'd be so bad they wouldn't want to be near you. And so the Israelites are saying, you know, it was bad, but now you've made it worse. He doesn't want to look on us. He's made our job hard. Just who are you? God's really doing this. And when you think of Moses, here's a man that we think of, of one of the heroes of faith, right? Who always trusts God. But actually in this moment, we might identify with him a little bit more because of his response. In fact, what we'll see in a second is that his response isn't directly back to the Israelites. He actually goes back to God and he has a little moment of breakdown. So let's look at what happens with, with Moses. Some of you might identify with this. Not because you're dealing with slavery, but just circumstances in your life where you might actually be feeling the same thing that Moses does here. Look at verse 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord. Remember, that word right there was the special name that God gave him. He turned to the Lord. And it says, uh, and Moses said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, He's done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Did you see what Moses did? First of all, he goes to talk to the Lord, which was the special name. But when he addressed the Lord, he didn't use the new special name. He used the old name, which was still a name for God, Adonai. But it's like he's already saying, you know, when we were in the wilderness and you said, I'm the I am. Right now, I'm just going to call you God because I don't know what you're doing. You told me to come rescue this people. But now it looks, look at the charge, he says. Why have you done evil to this people? Have any of you ever been in a circumstance that's been so tough to deal with? Are any of you currently in a circumstance that has been so tough to deal with that when you went to pray to God, you were so angry with him, you were so flustered with him, you were so bewildered by <clears throat> seemingly how he was acting in the circumstances, you wish you could charge him with being evil, of being harmful in such a way that it was, it, he was no longer in his goodness. I got to tell you, there's, there's times. I, I've been in church long enough. I feel like I know not to charge God with evil. But man, sometimes you got to question. 
seems like, right? Because how, how could this happen? How could that death take place? How could this disease come and ravage? How could those kids on the other side of the earth not have food? How could kids in Johnson County not have food? How, how could these things take place if you're not doing evil and doing harm? Would any of us be willing enough to say, I've had those thoughts? Maybe not everybody in this room, but guess what Moses did? Moses was in a really hard spot. He, he forgot who God really was, and he couldn't see God in the big perspective. He couldn't understand that God was doing a mighty work, and it wasn't playing out how the Israelites and the foremen and the, the slaves at that moment wanted to be. But he said, God, what, uh, you've just been doing evil? You've been trying to harm us? Because ever since you t- sent me on this job, all Pharaoh's done is evil. And you know what? God, you haven't delivered this people at all. That's Moses' charge. So you know when you're a parent, kids, you're not parents yet, you'll get to this age, but you know when you're a parent and you have made a decision and you're going about the business of taking care of your kids, but the kids did not like that decision, and the kids come back to you and they say, don't you love me? (laughs) I I thought this was going to be the way it was. Don't you love me? I'm not going to ask you parents to raise your hand if that happens. It happens. It happens. That's what Moses said. Don't you love us? Aren't you going to deliver us? And the response in that moment of a parent could be several. Right? Some immediate response is sometimes like, I just want to smack you to the other side of the world. If we're just being honest. Kids are laughing. That didn't happen, did it? Sometimes it's just you want to enter into that conversation and just spout back with the same things. Oh, yeah. And you almost want to get in that retort. But listen how the Lord responds. He could have smacked Moses. He could have said, oh, yeah. But here's how the Lord responds. Chapter six starts like this. But the Lord said to Moses. Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh for with a strong hand, he will send them out and with a strong hand. He will drive them out of his land. So he begins by saying, this is what's going to happen. Things haven't changed. You watch, you see Pharaoh by a strong hand, by his strong. He's going to send the people out. Now, that term that he's using there when he talks about, he said uh, a strong hand. And anytime we would talk about an outstretched arm, this is a way of them in the old days saying, with all their might, with all the ability that he has, that he's going to hold nothing back. He's just going to do it. So he's saying Pharaoh is going to just push the people out. He's going to get he's going to allow them to go. I'm, you just watch and see. You just watch and see. Now, um, we have the great pleasure of having my in-laws in town, Gary and Kitty. And and uh, Gary's a guy who likes to work out and, um, and and lift some weights. And we always joke because instead of saying strong, strong hands or an outstretched arm, we say sometimes he's got big guns got big guns i remember one time for a birthday or christmas we got him a a t-shirt that said check out the gun show and it had two arrows to his biceps that's what we'd say nowadays that guy's got by by his by his massive guns he's going to send the people out what god is saying is by all the strength that pharaoh has he's not going to want these people anymore he's going to send them out you watch and see you watch and see this is going to happen and he goes on in verse two and it says god spoke to moses and said to him Look at this phrase. This is important. I am the Lord. And he uses that word again. 
that special name, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Not that he ever didn't use it with them, but that name was directly attached to how he would rescue his people and take them to the promised land. So that was for this people. He says in verse 4, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the people of Israel. Now, I want you to read this next phrase, the four words with me. Ready? I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses thus spoke to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So when Moses stands there and charges God, why have you been evil? Ever since you've made me this, you haven't gone to deliver at all. And the Lord's response is this. I'm the Lord. I am God. There is there is no one else who directs me. There is no one else who charges me. There is no one else who forces my hand. I'm the one who will force Pharaoh's hand. And he goes on and describes all that he has done. Did you see how much emphasis God was placing on himself again? Look at some of these things. He says, I am the Lord. I established the covenant. I've heard the groaning. I've remembered my covenant. I'm the Lord. I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will take you. I will be your God. I will bring you into the land. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Did you see that? That entire thing, it doesn't say, oh, Moses, you just. You're not the right dude. Sorry, you're not very good at leadership. Oh, the Israelites, I made a mistake. I actually didn't want those people. I wanted the Egyptians. See, God hadn't made a mistake in the delivery. It was he had a certain way he was going to bring about the delivery. And he says, and he establishes throughout that passage, I'm the Lord. I'm God. I have charged this all. And you may not understand, but it was me who established the covenant. It was me who spoke to Abraham. I was the one who did it. And now I'm the one who will go in. I will go deliver them. I will redeem them. I will bring them out. I will bring them to the land. And I am the Lord. You need to remember something that I am God. And even though you don't understand it now, you are my people. I will be your God. The one thing he asked of the people here. The one thing he asked of the people when he, when he, when he, when he had this was look with me in the middle of verse 7. He says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know I am the Lord your God. God says, I'm the one who's going to do all this. I've made the promises. I've set this up. I've got a big job to do and I will bring you to myself. But you, you shall know. 
That's it. I, I, what I want you to do is I want you to watch. I want you to be able to see all the events that take place and know that when I say I am the Lord, that is good not only in my person, but in my actions. I'm going to get this done. I'm, I'm doing this for a greater purpose. You may not understand this now, but the things that you stand here and charge me with today aren't consistent with who I am and what I'm going to do. Because I have bigger things than just making the people not make bricks anymore. It's not about just getting a pay raise. It's not about just making your job easier. It's not about just getting over this sickness. There are big, overarching, transcendent purposes by which God is going to fulfill. And with the Israelites, he is saying, this isn't about getting you a better job. I'm the Lord. And I'm bringing you to myself. I'm delivering you to me. So watch this. And he goes back and Moses re- gives this to the Israelites. And the Israelites, they were so broken hearted. They rejected what God said about himself. They rejected. But Moses, something's changed in Moses. Look at verse 10. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall I uh, how, uh, how then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I'm of uncircumcised lips. He still has a little bit of hesitation. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel. Israel out of the land. Then later on, we're going to find out that they actually go in to Pharaoh and they say, let the people go. Something's changing in Moses. Something's changing where he recognized, no, that God is in this and I don't understand the circumstances now, but I'm going to go and I'm going to tell Pharaoh. There's something bigger going on here. Have you ever had those circumstances where something happens in your life and you're like, God, are you being evil to me? God, you haven't delivered me the way you said. It's not working out the way the other people in the world, it's working out for them. What's what's going on? Do you do you hate me? And I think the Lord would come back with the same response. I'm the Lord. I will do this. Trust me. It reminds me of a story of my dad. My dad is a bus driver in the city of Seattle. One day he went on his bus route and he didn't come home. For hours and hours and hours he didn't come home until finally he walked in at night and he was eating a bag of kettle corn. My mom was like, where, where have you been? He said, I don't know. Through the day while he was driving his route, he had amnesia could not recall the whole last day. And he came in with kettle corn, not because that was odd, but on his bus route, he always came in with kettle corn because part of his stops was down by the baseball field where he would buy kettle corn every route. So he had done his route and he went back and the boss said, yep, he picked up all the people. My dad could not remember the day. So obviously something was going on in his his brain. And so they began to put him through a battery of tests and trying to figure out with scans and all these different things, what was going on in, in Steve Hudson's brain? And the conclusion was he just had amnesia that day. Something happened where there was just a boop. Why did God do that? It's kind of scary. Why'd you do that, God? Are you harming me? Are you not delivering me? But you know what I love about that story is in the midst of all the tests and all the scans, 
and this really scary moment where my mom and my dad were like, does he have a tumor? Like, what's, what's going on? I don't understand the circumstance that you've, you've put us into. In the midst of all those tests, they found that my dad had a 95% blockage on a valve in his heart. And had he not had that amnesia, had he not had all the scans and the tests, they would have never found the issue in his heart because he was showing no symptoms. He only would have had a symptom had they not found it of one day being found dead. And as a result of that, my dad was able to get a cow valve when he woke up from surgery. We asked him how he was. He just said, moo. But I think of those circumstances where something goes on. We're like, I don't understand this, God. Are you being evil? Lord says, I see things more than you see. God saw my dad's heart before any doctor saw that scan. God delivered him somehow safely back home. But even still, I know that one day my father, though he's been saved from amnesia and saved from a, a, a valve that wasn't working, that he needs something more because all of us at the end of the day, we will die and that's it. But our God is not evil. He has stood for all time saying, I am the Lord and I will deliver you. I will redeem you. And it had to be more than just going in with Moses and retrieving out of Egypt. This was all a picture of what he was going to do through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now I'm going to turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 42. Earlier, we read from this talking about sing to the Lord a new song. If you live at the beach, if you live in the mountains, you should sing to the Lord and praise his name because he is good. Amen. And that comes right after this passage when it talks about why. What are some of the things the Lord deserves to be praised for? Isaiah chapter 42, verse five says, thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. So it says he created everything, including the people in their spirit. And then it says this, we'll recognize this phrase, verse six, I am the Lord. I have called you. Now, that's singular. I have called you in righteousness. I will make you uh, excuse me. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and the new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. There we see that same declaration, I am the Lord. But in this passage, it is saying that he's going to send help. When he says those things about, I've called you in righteousness, He's not talking about a people. He's talking about a person. He's talking about Jesus. It says, I will take you by the hand and keep you. I'll give you as a covenant for the people, a light to the nations. He is talking not about Israelites. He's not talking about Americans. He is talking about Jesus Christ, who the good God said, I am the Lord. So I'll take my son out of heaven. I will put him onto this earth, which is despicable in its sin. And he is the one that I've chosen to make the covenant. He is the one by righteousness that will get the job done. I am sending him in to take you out of slavery. And he says in those moments, I'm going to take prisoners and I'm going to set them free. I'm going to deliver. I'm going to take the blind. I'm going to make them see. And it'll be done by this one that I've chosen. Why? Because I am the Lord. He sees the big picture. He knows everything that's going on. 
And now consider that when Jesus was sent in to the land, and as the chief priests and all those with decision-making abilities looked at him and said, you're wrong. We want to kill you. Jesus Christ did not go back to the Father and say, why are you being evil to me? Jesus Christ didn't run to the Father and say, well, you don't want to deliver the people now? No, he went to a garden on the night he was going to be betrayed, and he prayed in that garden. He said, Abba, Father, if you would please take this cup of suffering away from me, but not my will, yours be done. He didn't pull a Moses. He didn't pull a Jason. As a result of the Lord saying, I am the Lord, and so I've chosen one. He is going to go get it done. Jesus came into the land, and he just said, Father, I trust you. Why? Because you're Abba, Father. And Jesus went in there, and in order to spring us free, he was stretched out on that cross and nailed up there, and his blood ran. The blood that delivers. The blood that frees the captives. The blood of the covenant which brings us into relationship with God. Because God was looking at the big picture. He knows. He scans us. He sees spiritually a problem. And he says, but all the events, both what I've done in Jesus and now what I'm doing in your life, I'm doing it so that you can see. Look, at what I'm asking you to do is you, you shall know I'm the Lord. And I got this. Now, we could make the same mistake as the Israelites of that day. That generation, later on, we find out that even though they saw the Lord and all that he had done with the plagues and the parting of the Red Sea and the man and all that, that they, in the end, they didn't believe. We can see all these things. But our heart's prayer is that we would turn and say, okay, God, you've got this. By Jesus, would you take my sin? By Jesus, would you help me to trust you with everything that goes on every day? The good stuff, the bad stuff. Would you help me to see that this is a long game that you're playing for eternity? What I loved in that section is that God said, by Pharaoh's strong hand, he's going to let you go. But God made clear in that section, it was by his outstretched arm, by his mighty arm that he was going to get this done. Another way that we describe that is everlasting arms. That his mighty arm wasn't just back in Egypt. And his mighty arm wasn't just for the Jews in the first century. His, his everlasting arm is one that even today we can say, Abba, Father, I need your help. I don't understand everything that's going on. I don't even want to go through this suffering. But you know what? Not my will, but yours be done. I'm going to trust you today. So maybe you come to the Lord today and you say, Lord, I'm struggling. Sometimes it seems like it could be evil or like you don't want to deliver at all. But ultimately, we trust him when he says, I'm the Lord. I'm God. I'm everything. Today, we're going to close with a song. It's one that we sing uh, once in a while called uh, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. Think about the passage that we read today where the Israelites, in a very brutal and harsh situation, 
really had to come to that realization of, you know what, we need to lean in to the mighty arms of God. He's got this. He's got this. And so today, if, if that's where you need to go and just by faith, just trust God for all he is, he says, I am the one. I will do this. It is me. Today, come and trust him and have him help, help you to trust him in every way that we would lean on the everlasting mighty arms of God.